When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west in the shadows of the east, this is Casterly Talk Up Cat Napsock for the 41st edition of the deep dive, the fun dive, the celebratory dive, and sometimes the ranting monologue dive into the world of ice and fire. Covering HBO's Game of Thrones, the prequel series down the line, the books, the maps, our hopes and dreams, and sometimes our disappointments. It's all here on Casterly Talk. Casterly Talk is housed on Anchor. You can find the podcast in, gosh, over 12 different spots. Just search if it's not on your podcast app of choice and you're listening to it right now on something you don't want to listen to it on, let me know. And I can see if I can manually add it to the Anchor app. The reason we're on Anchor for a lot of reasons, a little support for the show, keeps the lights on, but also, man, i got to tell you, you guys can call in. Use the Anchor app. You don't have to listen to the podcast on the Anchor app, but switch over to it and call in with a question, a what if, some thought, some rant, some monologue. We're going to do that at the end of the show. we got a good one today from our good friend, Eric Monroe. I love his calls. Good. Good to have Eric. And his voice and thoughts and questions heard here on Casually Talk. On my mind today, last week, first of all, let's go. Uh, you know what's on my mind today? Looking back at last week's show, Andres Cabrera came in here. We did our discussion on Tywin Lannister. Was it a complete discussion? No, because we're not done yet. We'll probably revisit it again and again because we do in our minds, we do in our conversations that even happen off air. Ace and I talk a lot about Tywin Lannister. And I think going into that show, into that episode last week, I think Ace and I had more of like a list of like, let's talk about this moment. Let's talk about this. And what it means. And then we just got there. We just wanted to talk about our feelings on, on Stannis. Uh, Stan, oh, Stannis. Tywin. I always have feelings on Stannis. You know that. Uh, and, and it's a similar thing. The reason Stannis I say there and that slip is, is, is Tywin and Stannis and all those characters that I like. And, and Ace likes those type of characters that are kind of complicated. And that's why we love Game of Thrones more than any other thing. Keep that, though, to Game of Thrones when it's supposed to just be in Game of Thrones. I don't think you need complicated gray shades of characters in every bit, uh, every bit of our fandoms uh, and other properties, there's a little bit of it there. There's some realistic things that uh, love when they pop up. But uh, sometimes I think we look at Game of Thrones, and even I have a tendency to do that, and want to put that realistic dark take on the world onto other things where it doesn't always fit. It's so perfect in Game of Thrones. It's just what the world is. So we are uh, going to look at some stuff today. Uh, you know, I saw this pop up, and I... And this is the first time we've talked about it since season eight, and it won't be the last, but a little more details emerging of these deleted scenes, things cut from season eight. 
And I love reading those things. I love reading those things. Sometimes the takes on them get me a little grumpy. Some of the stories going around, uh, you know, uh, even as um, I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon, so like two days ago, headlines like, these scenes cut from Game of Thrones season eight would have made Daenerys' twist a lot better. One of the headlines was, this would have made it all better. Uh, those guys, this was my f- deleted scenes, deleted Daenerys final scene changes everything. Get away from those headlines, man. Uh, there's some of things in these deleted scenes that we're going to discuss here today that I, I do like. Uh, and that's always the thing with deleted scenes. Eric Monroe had another call recently talking about our favorite deleted scenes, and he and I both just share that quiet little moment with Tywin and uh, Grandmaster, Grandmaster Pycelle, uh, you know, of, of Tywin saying, you don't fool me. I, I love that moment. It, was it needed in the show? No. But I would have liked to see him. Don't fall for the deleted scenes fix everything train of thought. They don't. They're often cut for a reason. Some of them for time. Some of them because they repeat things that are addressed in another way. Some of them uh, an artistic choice, as was one of them that I think is, a, is an interesting scene. I would have liked to see it. But I think it was already there. And that's the other thing, too. When I'm seeing I'm, I've read a lot of these articles today. Didn't want to get mad at anyone. Just read them. People doing their work. Going over these deleted scenes. And uh, what uh, happened is a lot of them uh, are merged in the actual scripts, which are, you know, available. You can you can see them um, uh, online. Uh, where, where exactly? I don't know. Usually it's like a, an official thing, like a library, uh, you know, House of Congress or something like that. Oh, here it is. Here it is. They're available to read at the Writers Guild Foundation Library in Los Angeles. So someone read these. And you see it. And this has been going around since this season ended. And not, you know, obviously, more than any other season. And a little bit earlier than season seven, other seasons. Now, I want to come from a point of, of truth. I think I read some of these. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I absolutely think these are good scenes. I'm not fighting against it. This isn't some blind defense of season eight. I love season eight. I think most of you should love season eight if you let yourself. But I wanted to dive in because I just again, if you try, if you're trying to use them against the season, it, it just yeah, just be be sure you want to do that. And which scenes count? But there's some good stuff in there. And sometimes again, though, I think it's if you take the time to look and to dig and to know these characters and to know the themes, the themes presented in these big things. I'm definitely looking across the pond at Star Wars, too. You don't need these other moments. They're all, all here for you. Some of the scenes, including more with Euron and Yara, a little kiss on the mouth. Eh, we don't, you know, not not important, not big. We've had enough weird incest in Star, War, or Star, in Star Wars. Now, well, we, we did have in Star Wars, too. Why am I slipping of the tongue today with, <laughs> with weird truths? Um, we've had it in Game of Thrones. Uh, we didn't need Euron and Yara. And that, that we got enough there. All right, a little bit more with Harry Strickland, and it's so weird that people are thinking hey, they're going crazy about the why. Why was the Golden Company there? Like, did, would I have wanted twelve scenes with Harry Strickland? Yeah, yeah, it's a cool character. His moments was fine. He dies. It's there. That's it. You're going to get twelve thousand pages of him in the book, but it doesn't make anything. And, and I'm reading a lot of these articles, but I'm focusing right now. I do. I always love what they do over at uh, WinnersComing.net. Um, and also the you know the Watchers on the Wall website's really good too. Uh, I, I go to that one a little bit more. So I'm reading uh, uh, an article from Dan uh, Selke, and it's 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 good. There's some good stuff in there. I don't want to 
I make it sound like I'm, I'm uh, crapping out in any way for those uh, paying attention. Uh, but he, and he's going to see my scene, and it's helpful. Um, a bigger role for Alice Karstark is 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 covered. Alice Karstark is at the end of season seven. Uh, John uh, goes puts forth the idea that her uh, and Ned Umber, little Ned Umber, shouldn't be punished for the sins of those who came before them in the house. Something that was against uh, Sansa's wishes. And in uh, the long night, there's some stuff cut out with Alice Karstark paying back that debt, uh, defending Bran volunteering to stand with Theon and saying, Alice says uh, to John, I'll go with him. The car starts to portray your house, allow us to earn back your trust. Uh, so John appreciates the girl's sense of honor, not his approval, and that's the scene. Um, and then, you know, is it, uh, and, and, and then she has her moment. She has a little bit of a hero moment. We know she, though she dies uh, at the end of the Night King. W- would that have been good? Yeah, it would have been good. Absolutely. Um, but it was similar. There was some stuff where uh, children, White Walkers, were coming after. Very similar to how Carsey, uh, of course, died in the hard home. So it's a, it's a repeated beat, and I don't think we need it. But it's fun to learn. It's fun to learn that, that that's part of it. And then now you can just insert that in your own little headcanon that that happened there. There's also a scene, Cud and, and me and uh, the Dreadless article do agree that Tyrion and Sansa have a little bit more action. And there was an interview going into season eight of uh, Sophie Turner saying, hey, Sansa has a little bit more action. I get to do some things that I've never really done before and probably referring to this scene in its cut. I do agree uh, what was said here by this, uh, this author, uh, uh, again, Dan uh, uh, Selkie on Winter's Coming, that it... Tyrion, Tyrion's got some fighting experience. You know, Sansa, I'm not going to dis... If she swings a sword good, I'm not going to be like, no, she, she's not going to do that. She got Stark butt. But it was some, would be somewhat out of character. Uh, Dan calls it uh, cheap and pandering, potentially. Um, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I, I agree with the sentiment there. He cites examples, and this is interesting, of, you know, Gilly and Missande would be better candidates based on where they grew up and the harsher conditions surrounding them. Yeah, absolutely. Do I think Gilly can, you know, knows her way about an, around an axe? Yeah, I think she does. Now, uh, Tyrion's got a lot of experience with that, and it wouldn't seem that much out of character, but it, 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 it's something that's not needed, right? I don't think it's needed, and that's what we can agree with. So that was one of the other moments there. But then we start getting into really, really some of the interesting things. There was some more with Missandei, Grey Worm, and as it ties to Danny's isolation, that their growing relationship, all the stuff going on with them, is something that makes Danny happy, but also Missandei can kind of tell there's some heat there. Um, I don't mean like romantic heat, but like a little, little bit of a Danny looking across, uh, described as uh, stoic and uh, vigilant. Uh, oh, excuse me, that's describing Grey Worm. Um, but that Danny's, Danny's kind of. Uh, feeling isolated and that now her best friends found love and they're not as connected as they used to be. I, I think that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I think this idea that Danny is thrilled for her, um, but it isolates her a little bit more and that leads to her madness. And this is where the scenes start coming in where people say, Hey, it would have made Danny's turn more believable or better. I, I, I think people might've been upset regardless I saw a lot of things of, uh, well, you know, foreshadowing isn't good character work. I, so this is one of those moments. This would have been a good foreshadowing. Oh, look, Miss Sandy's in love. We're happy for her. Danny doesn't seem happy for her. Why? It's seasoning on this meal, and I, I am never going to turn down seasoning. 
and I wouldn't. This would have been fun, and it would have been uh, very interesting. But again, I don't think it's needed. There's enough looks, and I got to think. Now, I would have wanted to see more of Grey Worm and Missandei. Yes, that's a bonus for those characters. But I got to think while they're cutting this show, they're putting it together. A lot of times, these deleted scenes, one of the most infamous. Jabba the Hutt, Han Solo, New Hope. We get to see it now in the special editions. It was legendarily cut, and a lot of it was probably the technology at the time. You had this kind of hefty Scottish guy saying, Harden the boy, and he was going to be Jabba the Hutt. It was going to be completely different. That's part of why it was cut. But the other reason was it just it literally repeated everything that was in the Greedo moment before about why Han dumped his shipment, all those kind of things. It just repeated, so it's cut. It's cut. And I think things like this, the Missandei Grey Worm love causing Danny to be isolated is something that I think is kind of already just ingrained in the story. Would I have wanted to see it? I'm going to say, yes, I would have liked to have seen this moment in the show. But I got to think as you're cutting the show and you're an editor and you're a director and you're sitting in there and the producers are involved and everything, you probably look around going, where can we cut? Because you have to. You have to think, even for these extended episodes, we know they weren't as long as, as, as people hoped or thought they were going to be, but that was never really going to be the case. You're probably looking around going, ah, yeah, you know, we, we've, we've sold this moment four times already. And I think, to me, again, it was, it was already pretty clear what was happening. So do you need this extra beat when we maybe feel we need something else? That's where I think a lot of these cuts come down to. So to say, I don't think it's entirely fair. Again, this is a scene, I'll say on record, I would have liked to have seen and would have liked to have made it to the final cut. But I don't think it's as necessary as people want it to be. It's just the way it is. There's stuff with uh, uh, Varys picking up on it. Uh, Hey, again, I want more Varys. In fact, the next scene they go into is uh, Tyrion learning of Jon's true parentage. And he tells Varys while on the boat in Dragonstone. In the script, uh, Varys wonders if the information can be trusted. Varys, you know, would ask that, but Tyrion says, hey, he rode a dragon. He has, any, he has, non-Targaryen, has a non-Targaryen ever rode a dragon? That's good lore stuff, uh, not entirely necessary, cut for beats and times and all those kind of things. So I don't think that one was really necessary, and I think that's fine. But the next one here, we go to Bells, the Bells, the Bells, the Bells. Um, there's a little bit more this idea. We, we see this scene, uh, this is, you know... We have the scene where after Varys' execution, Danny and John they have a kiss. He pulls away. Uh, she insists that uh, you know she's his queen, or he insists that she's his queen. She he's, she's, she says, "Is that all I am to you? You're your queen." We 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 got that, but there's more dialogue potentially that could have been cut. And again, when I say deleted scenes, I want to make this clear: it doesn't necessarily mean that any of this. Well, I'm sure a lot of it was shot, but a lot of it's just script stuff that might not have even made it to production. Um, that includes even some of the editing room stuff. Maybe some of this wasn't even shot that we're talking about here. But one of the things that's uh, missing more than anything, um, it's not even dialogue. Uh, in the script, there's uh, more that describes her state of mind. So this is stuff that never would have made the show anyways. Danny is desperate for a connection. She cannot remember a time she's felt this alone. She pulls back from the kiss and looks at John. This is complicated for him. He loves her. He disapproves uh, uh, strongly of what she's doing. He lusts after her. He fears her. She feels his ambivalence. And then they go um, into the, you know, the dis- disgust you. 
all those kind of things. Um, here's again, this this is stuff. We saw this with the dragon when, when when Drogon. We discovered that hey, Drogon might have burned that throne down because it just was caught in um, in the way. Some of that's just description, man. It's just description and a script, and it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's in there or that's what's not in there. And in the Drogon thing, it the the what's on screen is what we feel. He burns that throne because he burns that throne because he wants to if if in the direction at one point the script says hey drogon's just spewing fire everywhere and he happens to hit the throne so be it but that's not necessarily what ends up on screen so be it with this but in the other direction everything described in this now you know uh, so far you know so-called missing um scene or, or dialogue or text it's just it's it's action it's 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 script stuff and i think nothing that i'm i'm reading in here it's not apparent to me. Danny's desperate for a connection. We know this. She cannot remember a time she felt this alone. We know this. We've been watching. John disapproves of what she's doing. What is she doing? Possibly burning King's Landing. Possibly, you know, taking the throne the wrong way. He still lusts after, lusts after her, but he fears her. She feels what he's feeling, his ambivalence. Yeah. She says it disgusting. That's stuff that... It wouldn't have made it anyways. So this is why this is my point, and this is not not necessarily this article, but I've, I was reading like six of them today, and they're all like, "Ah, oh, this would have made it more clear." What would have made it more clear? It's there. Look for it. And this is the one that that I want to talk more than anything when I talk about look for it. There was a decision made by Miguel Sapochnik and the team that in the episode that Danny goes crazy, the key moment uh, being in the bells when Dan Daenerys sitting atop Drogon sees the Red Keep in the distance and decides to burn the whole city to ash. They, you don't go back to her face after the episode. She becomes kind of like a faceless villain. Miguel Sapochnik said um, he and his team decided not to show Danny after she decides to lay waste to King's Landing. But at that point, you don't need to see her. We decided not to cut back to her. When she makes the decision, she and the dragon become one. I love that decision. I stand by the decision. It's a very good choice. She is not connected to any of this. She's lost the connection to it. That's what it proves. And you see it from the ground level. Yeah, I, I think it strikes, it strikes a chord with some stuff. I uh, said earlier in the show, like in the seasons, uh, Jorah talking about, you know, the, the the commoners don't care about your Game of Thrones. You know, they want a long, long summer. That's all they want. So forth and so on. And that choice in the bells to once Danny switches off to not try to see her side of it at, it, at that point. And and you see that I think later on in the next episode, but to not see her side of it, and to she's the bad guy at that point, right? She's the bad girl at that point. Like, I think that's way more interesting to me than explain it. But then the art, what what I'm seeing a lot of articles going on to say is there is. Another shot that we would have seen in the script. Again, was a shot? No, not necessarily. Could have been. But in the script, we see Danny's face one more time when she reaches the Red Keep. The script says, there's no dialogue. The script says, tied on flying Danny as she looks at the exterior of the throne room, the room her ancestors built. She sees the lion sigil in the windows where the seven-pointed star once was, which she takes as a symbol of everything that has been taken from her. And it drives her to fury. 
that's great stuff, right? That's captivating stuff. And this article's uh, a great little article. It's just going through everything here. So again, I'm not focusing any ire on this one. Um, but I see a lot of called this would have changed everything. It, w- it was there. And I, I will push back on anyone who says it wasn't. The Danny, there's a shot of Danny on Drogon. The bells are going. And I have heard some I heard someone in real life say, Would the bells set her off? It's like, did you, are you are you not watching? You're not paying attention to what's there. She stares at the Red Keep, and it's 300 years of her family's history, or so, is there in front of her, but it's not hers. And it was taken from her decades ago, and she's fought so hard to get to this point. She was told by Viserys and others they're waiting for the Targaryens to return. They celebrate you. In silence, Viserys. And that kind of, you know, transfers to her, right? Targaryen restoration. People want this. They pray for your safety in the the secrecy of their own home. That might have been true, but for the most part, it wasn't. For the most part, maybe, hey, they, Seven Kingdoms moved on. Again, like George says, they don't care about that. They care about themselves, survival. Uh, They want a long summer. They don't want don't care who's on the throne. So Daenerys being fed all that, we know that. We see that. You feel it. You don't have to read the books. You know it. And she returns to Dragonstone. The close-up, the silence, it's played so well in season seven when she returns to Dragonstone. If you can't take that all and put that into your that moment yourself, you need, you need it explained. Again, these aren't all uh, deleted scenes. These are script descriptions that you were never going to see or hear anyways. But now that they're unveiled, people, oh, this would have made things more clear. I'm sorry. You might not like, I, I, I can, you might like, not like the decision. That's fine. But if you, we can have that discussion. I've had that discussion with friends off camera and off mic. I have no problem with that. I've said this before, and I'll say, if you, can't pick up if you look at that scene and go the bells are setting her off you haven't been paying attention i have gotten you know i've had some tense moments with some friends off camera off mic well they just didn't set that up what do you, you did you not watch the first seven and a half seasons watch not watch those episodes You know, even even the you know, well, that's bad strategy, bad strategy, strategy. Strat- I made a, I made up a new term. Take tra- tragedy and strategy, it works. Uh, bad strategy to send the Dothraki in to the White Walkers and the Whites. Really, season seven, episode four, the loot train fight. We see the Dothraki at their best, charging. Leaping on top of their horses, laughing why they do it, motivated why they do it, and kicking ass. It is stated explicitly by Jamie Lannister, we cannot defeat them like that. So when I'm watching, and Melisandre emerges, and lights every one of their weapons aflame, and they go charging into battle with Ghost and my man, Jorah, I'm thinking, you're sending players into the game 
the way they should be with their skill set behind them. That's knowledge. What do we got on the field? Well, these guys are really good charging full on into battle. Dothraki might not be good standing inside castles. Charge. Get on the horses. And now their flames are, their weapons are aflame. That's probably what you do. And so when they get their ass handed to them, I'm thinking, oh, that's what they're up against right now. That's how bad things are. To me, it was set up. Just as it was set up, the history. Lon, I got to get back. We got to get Lon back in studio here. He named the damn show. Lon had a great thought. He goes, hey, there's such some, if, if he never read the books. I think he's been, he's been starting. He's been poking at the first book finally. Now that the series is over, but he, he, would, he would tell me, because you know, sometimes I get there's a lot of names. I get it can be confusing. But there's sometimes I look at people and I'm like, you're not, you, you say you're a fan of the show, but you're not paying attention. And it, and it was always frustrating to us when we were putting together Watching Thrones. Screen junkies, some of the comments we get, you know, again, if you understand, there's some people listening right now who understand all this stuff and you don't like how it was executed. That's a different conversation and will always be a different conversation. I am specifically going to, if you felt you needed this in, I just, you, you maybe have never written a script, number one, but two, how could you not see that was there? Danny is staring at the very thing her family built and it is taken over by something else. She can't get to it. And no one wants her there inside that thing that her family built. Built. So you know what? F it. I'm burning it down. And then we can analyze all the other ways she was isolated. Jorah's gone. Barristan's gone. All these people that supported her. All confidants gone. Her first love gone. And then she's isolated. Yeah. Cersei kills her best friend, who, by the way, had been falling in love and spending less time brushing Danny's hair. Yeah, we get all that. To me, that is there, is is present, and I'm grumpy today, but I don't understand how these scenes would have made everything better. Maybe you just wanted something else and weren't paying attention because you were hoping you were getting some super big dragon fight, ice fire, frost fire, meeting real fire, and... You just didn't go the way you wanted. I've been grumpy the last couple of times on Guest Castle Talk, not when I was talking about Taiwan. And we're going to get back to cheerful things, happy things. But I saw these articles and I read them. I gave them the chance. This fixes everything. Let me see. And of all these things, I would have liked to see Missandei and Grey Worm happy and in love and that kind of affecting Danny. I think that's all you really could say was added the other stuff it's there baby it's there i get it you know, over in star wars world I, I sometimes from from some colleagues of mine colleagues not youtube comments colleagues telling me yeah i think you, i think you just put things there into the scenes that aren't really there and i always say it's all there the themes are there you might not like it people might not like that han solo Gets his name in canon now from an imperial officer. I can understand that. I can respect that. But that scene is the thesis statement for his moment, for his life, for 40 years of his life. He is now a character. He is now something in his own mind. I am not Han Jones of Corellia. I'm Han Solo. And he's named by indifference 
an imperial officer giving the greatest scoff in the world. It's a Tuesday. My lunch break's in an hour. I'll give you a name. And I heard someone say, well, Yahan wouldn't, he doesn't like the empire. He wouldn't take it from the empire. He doesn't care about the empire at that point. He, he's joining the empire as a means to an end. But what, what he really knows, and Alden plays that moment, and you don't need it spelled out. Han Solo, as played by Alden Ehrreich, does not need to look at the screen and say, yeah, this is a moment that's going to define me for a very long time. No, he plays it with his eyes. Your name's going to be Han Solo. There you go. Punch your card. You start tomorrow, kid. Alden's eyes tell the story. Yes, this is my name now. This is who I am. And he spends the next 40 plus years of his life trying to live up to this character of himself in his brain. The dashing smuggler. Ain't no good guy. I'm a smuggler, scoundrel. I'm Han Solo. When he knows more than anyone else, he knows. That's not who he is. And he runs away from a lot of things, including up into the final moments when he turns around to face his son. Ah, we're talking a lot of Star Wars. My point is, that's all there if you want to pay attention. And a lot of things are there in Game of Thrones. Was season eight a little fast, a little rush at times? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Don't think I'm not saying that. But I also think you got seven and a half seasons to get you some of these big moments at the end of the show. And all of them really track. And all of them really make sense. If you just slow down, take a listen, and watch. But I could be wrong. All right. We're going to come back after a quick break with a great question from Eric Monroe. And next week, I want a lot of your calls. Reach out to the Anchor app. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back here in Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock. All right, let's put a happy smile. Let's, let's, get her, let's get the good vibes out there. I just, I just see those articles sometimes. I know what they're doing. And you can't go argue on Twitter. It does no good. It really, I, I try to say, stay back on these things so much. I just try to. Why have a podcast if I can't occasionally be honest? I see some of these articles. Again, some of them, it's good insight. Things we could have seen. Things that... Would have been interesting, but the it changes everything headlines just burn me when they don't. If they did, that'd be a different scene. If there was a scene where Danny turns to everyone and says, I hate you all, and because of the Targaryen history here that's being uh, rebuffed by all the fans, I'm going to burn them, burn them to the ground. Okay, that might have changed some things. Or I can go back to season two where Danny yelled at uh, the. 13 in front of the walls of Karth, I will burn cities to the ground. Just seemed like it was a good idea then. All right. 
No matter where you're listening to the show, I suggest you go to Anchor and call in. You get 59 seconds to leave a question, a thought starter, a big what if. We've been having a lot of fun doing these what ifs since the show wrapped up. You can listen to the podcast anywhere. I want to make that clear. I've gotten some of these, uh, some questions, some fair questions about this of uh, the, uh, you know, I don't like listening on Anchor. I listen here, listen there. Does it help? Yeah, all the numbers flow back into one bucket. Leave a rating review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever the you know favorite here on Anchor. It doesn't matter. But uh, you don't have to listen on Anchor. But I do suggest get on here. Get in here. Come into this castle and discuss things with us. we got a great call from Eric Monroe uh, right now. But I want to hear yours next week. Here we go. Hey, Ken and Cashley Talk. So I was watching some clips on YouTube, which I often do, and I was watching the scene between uh, Catelyn Stark and Rob Stark's wife in season three when she's talking about how Jon Snow got sick, and it got me thinking about a what if. And my question is, what if Ned told Catelyn Stark the truth about Jon, that he was, in fact, his nephew, that he was Lyanna's son? Would that have changed anything? I kind of think it might have if he would have had Catelyn Stark's love because I think if Catelyn knew the truth, I think she would have been able to love him as if he were her own. And I think they would have made him a Stark. And would that maybe have changed his destiny? Would he still have gone to the Night's Watch or... Would he have stayed and maybe gone to war with Rob once uh, Ned lost his head? And would John maybe potentially have died in the Red Wedding? So what do you think would have happened if uh, Ned told Catelyn the, the truth? This is a great one, Eric. This is a great what if. I think I think a lot of the answers Eric just kind of addressed himself, and, and it doesn't it cha- it changes everything dramatically, which is part of the fun that it didn't happen, but part of the fun of talking about it there. If John gets that love and is accepted by Catelyn, um, I absolutely think it changes everything. I think it changes a ton. It changes it because she would have known the truth, and I think she would have uh, loved and respected Ned even more than she eventually grew to. Remember, she barely kind of you know knew Ned when he when they were married, but didn't quite know him when he ran off the war and he comes back with the kid. And yeah, uh, I see Catelyn's point on that. Uh, I've been harsh on um, the character of Catelyn Stark in the past, especially the early, the early days of Game of Thrones, but she's made made some mistakes. So have a lot of people on the show. A lot of characters make mistakes. Hers are done always. Every mistake by Catelyn Stark is done for the good of her family. And that's fine. Hey, I, I even think Tywin would respect that if he really stopped and think about it there. So I have backed off my I, – I once claimed infamously that everything's Catelyn's fault. If she doesn't kidnap Tyrion, if she calms down, we're okay. Eh, you know, there's, not, there's some truth to that, but that's entirely unfair to Catelyn Stark. And it's unfair. And, and she clearly, in that scene with Talisa later on, she clearly – carries uh, the shame of a lot of things and doesn't even know what's going on with Jon Snow. Even then, still thinking he's the bastard son of Ned Stark, she's like, I I didn't do things right with him. And I think that's important that she admits that there. Which is why, again, if she if Ned comes back, hey, publicly says, hey, look, I got, I got, I got a kid now, um, but tells her the truth, I don't think would she have uh, Catelyn's a very strong-willed free thinker. So she might have been like, well, this is ridiculous. This is dangerous. But I think she would have been like, but it's also noble. And I think she would have raised John uh, as a Stark, like Eric said there. Which means if he is a Stark, he still might be Jon Snow. But if he's raised with a little bit, you know, hey, you're part of this family too, kid. Um, 
it changes who he is without a doubt, just who he is as a, as a character, what his wants and desires are. And he's be, be more part of things. Now, when he goes to the night's watch, that is done to me, you know, as part of Ned's kind of, yeah, why don't you go up there? I'm leaving. That's a good idea. You want to join there? Uncle Benjamin, go hide up there. No one's going to come for you up there. Robert Baratheon's not, not coming for you. Ned's not worried about the Night King and all those things, of course. Doesn't believe they really exist. Though I think in the back of Ned's mind, when he kills Will, I think he's like, huh. I don't know about that. Benjamin at the at the feast kind of gives you know. I love that moment between Benjamin and Ned. Like, oh, look, look, Ned. I don't, I don't think he's gonna lie. Um, and there's things going on up there, whether you want to believe it or not. You have dire wolves now. Uh, second conversation. I I still think it would have happened if Catelyn's now on board, protecting John. Look, first you got to keep up the lie with me. It's going to be a little shameful for our marriage, but he's a Targaryen. We need to protect him. My sister promised him. Would Catelyn, now, would Catelyn be like, a Targaryen? No. I, I, I think she would have gone along with it. I think she would have understood what Ned had to do and was singing it to him. So I think she helps. I think Robert comes marching north. They kind of hide John from him, and John wants to go. Catelyn, we got to let this happen. This is the best way to protect him right now. I'm not here. You got to run this thing. You're gonna have a lot on your mind. A lot, and, and then, you know, then Brand fault. Like, there's a, there's just a lot of things going on, right? So, yeah, I think I think that still happens. But then, does John view it as something he wanted to do? That's the next thing that I think is different. He wants to go north. He wants to be part of the Night's Watch. He wants to go find himself up there, which he does. But he might have gone kicking and screaming. Does he desert? I don't know. Any of those things. And I think, now, does he get up there and buy into what's going on? Does he still connect uh, with Samuel Tarly and, and Pip and Gren? Yeah, maybe. I think John is who he is. And he'll probably even have a better sense of honor and I am a Stark and everything like that. But... I still think he'd be a little brooding. I still think he'd be upset that Benjamin says, nah, you got to learn here. He'd be up, uh, set up being a steward, all those kind of things. All those things kind of would remain in, in my mind. But when he finds out that Ned's been killed and Rob is going to war, do I think Jon Snow Stark, as opposed to Jon Snow secretly Targaryen, does he stay up there? That is the different thing to me. Because, again, he does stay up there. He tries to leave, we know, and his buddies save him. But he stays because, don't forget, he wanted to be up there. That's his new family, better or worse. So, yes, then Eamon gives him the speech, and he's revived, and Targaryen, blah, blah, blah. Again, I, I, don't, I, I don't think they ever, even if Catelyn was on board, I don't think they ever sit down, John, and say, oh, by the way, you're a Targaryen. I don't, so I think all that kind of stays the same. He still thinks he's a bastard, but he has a better sense of himself, he feels more part of the family, and I probably feel strongly about, hey, I didn't want to come to this wall anyways. They sent me up there. Um, I want to go down and help my brothers. That's what he wants to do. I want to help my family. That's what he wants to do. So if he is stopped, even if he is stopped by Sam, Pip, and Gren, John might still desert and go. That would be part of the big change. It'd be interesting. I've been harsh on Catelyn Stark before. 
I'm not as harsh now because I understand. I respect what she did. Everything, including the mistakes of the mistakes, Catelyn does for the better of her family, for the protection of her family, for the love of her children. If that love extended to Jon Snow, or extended a lot earlier from a certain point of view, I think she, she'd be on board with a lot of things. And I don't know if John ends up where he ends up. And again, this is what's fun about these what-ifs. He needs to go up there. It's not great, but he kind of needs to be rejected his whole life. Kind of needs that to become who he is. That's kind of a lesson for all of us. I don't want bad things to happen to me. I don't necessarily want it to happen to you listening. But you look back at life and you go, well, that was harsh. But it made me who I am. Made me who I am. Sansa has that line... The exchange with the Hound later on that I know was a bit controversial. Understand why. Understand the real world implications of it. But for the character of Sansa Stark, yeah, I, I, I get what she says when she talks to the Hound. But well, then I wouldn't be a little bird, you know, um, or I'd still, excuse me, I'd still be a little bird. Um, understand that. Jon Snow needed to be put through the ringer to become who he was born to be. And would you have gotten there if Catelyn treated him a little better. I mean, I wish she did because she's a good person. Kellen's a good person. But again, understand. I understand when Ned comes back. That's why Jamie gets to her so well in season two. Oh, the honorable Ned Stark. I may be disgusting. I may sleep with my sister, but that's all who I've slept with. I have more honor than old dead Ned. I love that moment. That's That's some stuff, man. That's some stuff. Oh, Catelyn Stark. We'll take a deeper dive into Catelyn Stark as well. I definitely want to do that. She is a very important character. Michelle Farley is just an amazing performer, amazing actor. And it's three three of the greatest seasons of television acting, I think, come out of uh, Catelyn Stark and Michelle Farley. So, uh, Farley, excuse me. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Eric, thanks for the thanks for the what if. Thanks, thank you all for listening. Again, I know it's an off season. I know it's Game of Thrones isn't on the mind of everyone, but it's on the mind of us, those who are listening to Casually Talk. And we're going to keep taking those deep dives. And I want you to join with me. And then we, the, we got more things coming. The world of ice and fire is as strong as ever. I'm glad you're all here discussing the show, the books, the maps, everything with me. Uh, you know where to find me at Catnaps. Like use the hashtag Casterly Talk to join the conversation. If you're out in the Washington, D.C. area, me and Mark Ellis doing some comedy November 16th. Go to catnapsuck.com for more information or markellislive.net for tickets. If you are attending, you're a fan of the movie Trivia Schmodown, we've got a big, a big live event. Tickets are on sale, I do believe, for the Schmodown Spectacular, December 7th, downtown L.A. There's some fan event stuff going on, too. I will be there, be selling copies of Why We Love Star Wars and book plates for, um, if you already have the book but still want a little signature there or something, you can, uh, you can get that, too. So, that's it for now. For all those deleted scenes, we love you, we miss you. And for Catelyn Stark, hey, you did what you had to do. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk. <laughs>